0: are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want to read this morning from the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John. And says, Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. You have to understand what Jesus is saying. Man is not blind because his parents are himself blind. Live this sinful life. All the sinners. You don't have to sin to be a sinner. All you got to do to be a sinner is be born. You're born with a sinful nature. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. He said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which mine is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and, begged, begged? and Some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that's called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam, and wash the... And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? Said, I know not where he is. Uh, he said, I, I know not. They brought, they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay on mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. They're talking about Jesus. Others said, How can a man that's a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division uh, among them. I cannot take the time this morning, but I'd like to show you, if I had the time, I'd like to show you how people got caught up with incidentals and secondary things and missed the whole point of what God was doing. A man who was blind was made to see. A wonderful picture of people being saved. But I didn't mean anything to people. They called a special meeting and uh, examined him and they finally concluded really he didn't have any right to see. And nobody had any right Just make him, make him see. And they oppose the whole thing. And uh, that's going on a lot today. People are dealing with secondary matters. And missing the main thing. Main thing is getting people saved. Getting people into the family of God. And getting people on their way to heaven. That's the main thing with God. How do you know that? Because the Bible tells me that. The Lord Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's His whole purpose for coming into the world. But I don't, I don't want to deal with that this morning. I want to take a text, verse 4. Jesus said, I must work the works of Him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. When I read this verse recently, I've read it many times, I've been reading it. Nearly fifty nine years when I read it recently. Some great questions came to my mind. And if God would answer my prayer this morning, uh, these questions I would God would put them on your heart and your mind. But I was reading this where Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And I thought of some great questions I believe God sent to my mind. I thought of the question, are your loved ones saved? The night cometh. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And I thought of the great question, are your loved ones saved? Do you have out there someone you love, some member of your family, that while you sit here today... Saved and happy and praising the Lord. Do you have a loved one that's yet lost and without God and on their way to hell? Are your loved ones saved? I read recently a story that something had happened, an incident that happened in the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, many years ago. A man got offended in church because of some incidental thing. Nothing important. You know... Baptist people don't fight over whether Jesus is Son of God or not and so much. They fight on what color to paint the nursery and what kind of carpet we're gonna put down the aisle. And a lot of Baptist people deal with incidental things. The fellow they got offended in church and left that great church. That time a great soul winning church, winning many people to Christ. And the people would see him, preacher went to see him. Couldn't do anything with him. No, I'm never coming back. Had the deacons go see him. Sunday school teachers went to see him. Said, no, I'm never coming back. My family's never coming back. Got offended over some little incidental matter. Years went by. One night, a nurse in the hospital who was a member of that church called the pastor and said, there's a 16-year-old boy lying here, brought in a little while ago, dead on arrival, And he's a member of the family that left the church. Well, will you come? You need to come, Preacher. Preacher came, and there was the family, brokenhearted, of course. He told them how he loved them. Told them that before he ever left. Told them how he loved them and encouraged them to come back. And the next Sunday morning, there they were. They came down the aisle. They'd become a large family. Children had been born but not even in the family when they left the church over a trivial matter. They came down the aisle, this broken-hearted father leading the way, and they all knelt numbers of them, and some of them that they got saved, and some who had left when they knew it was wrong got right with God. And a deacon said to the pastor, Oh, isn't that wonderful sight to see? All this family kneeling here, calling upon God. But the preacher was weeping, said, no, it's not a happy sight to see. Because he said, the Father has said they're all here except one. And he's in hell. He's a 16-year-old boy, never darkened the door of the church. Because I wouldn't let him. I stood in his way. They're all here today except one. He's in hell. Preacher said, that's not a happy time. This is a sad time because somebody who was a Christian and a child of God let their loved one go to hell. I say to you this morning, if we could have God speak to the hearts of people in this conference about winning their loved ones to Christ. Next Sunday, in the churches of the Lord Jesus Represented here, there may be people come and be saved and be baptized and heaven would rejoice. I ask you this morning, are all your loved ones saved? I thought of another question. I thought of the question, how deeply involved are you in the work of God? Jesus said, I must do the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. How deeply are you involved in the work of God? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not asking if you come to church. That's good. You ought to. And it's a sin not to. And the Bible says that you ought not to forsake the assembly of yourselves together. But I will tell you, Christianity goes a lot further than that. i want going to ask you today, are you deep, how deeply involved are you in the work of God? Are you in that 5 or 6% of people in the average independent Baptist church that wins the souls to Christ and goes out and knocks on doors and calls on people? Or are you in that other 95% who's not involved in the main thing with God in the Bible and that's getting people saved? How deeply are you involved in the work of God? Do you have a responsibility... Does someone depend on you uh, in the house of God uh, to discharge a responsibility? How deeply are you you involved in praying for your church and your preacher? And how how deeply involved are you in giving? And let me ask you, how deeply involved are you today in loving? How much are you involved in the work of God? Another great question I think God put on my mind is how much of your time is spent for others. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh, when no man can work. How much of your time is spent for other people? You know, there are so many Christians in our churches, and I don't want to make anybody mad. I'm not like Dr. Rice. Somebody said, Dr. Rice, if you preach that, you're going to make somebody mad. Doctor, I said, uh, "God helping me, yes, I will." And uh, I, I don't want to deliberately do it, but I want to say to you, I need a lot of Christians in churches. I wonder how much they care about other people. I'm saved and going to heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm I have my needs supplied, but uh, let others do the same. They have the same privilege I do. Uh, a lot of Christians are not concerned about others. I read where William Booth, in his old age, who started the Salvation Army when he was younger and his great work. When you mention Salvation Army today, uh, most of us turned off as a social agency. But didn't start that way. William Booth turned the sidewalks of the world into mourners' benches where people came all over the world and knelt at the sidewalks at the curb and were saved. And hundreds and thousands of people were saved and are in heaven today because of William Booth. And they were having a great Salvation Army Convention in America. The old man could not come from England. So they asked him, send the word, send the slogan, send something to the convention that will be our theme during this convention. Telegram came across the sea from William Booth had one word. Others. 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 Well, I say to you today, we need a working of the Spirit of God in our churches, in our lives, about other people. How much time of your time do you give to other people? I thank God for those people that give some time to others. I thank God for bus workers. I thank God for people going visitation. They don't go because they have to. They go because they want to and have the love of God in them, like our preacher preached this morning, and they go because they have a love for others for whom Jesus died. When I was thinking about preaching on this text, the question came to my mind. Are you looking for an easy way to serve the Lord? If you are, quit looking. You're not going to find it. You're not going to find it. There's no easy way to be involved and to give your life for others and to serve God and to win your loved ones to Christ. No easy way. But there is a way, and it's God's way. And you can have God's power, and you can do it. I would ask you the question, are you looking for an easy way to serve God? Now then, let me get to this text. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day for the night cometh when no man can work. I believe as I read the Bible that I find that God had a work laid out for people to do. I believe God has a work for you as a Christian to do. And I think I've lived long enough to see a lot of people that somehow or another dropped out of the race and will never finish the work God gave them to do. They said to Jesus, Why was this man born blind? Was it because his parents sinned or because he sinned? Jesus said, it was not because either his parents sinned or he sinned. It was neither one, but for the glory of God that the works of God might be done. You know, when Lazarus died, they said that Jesus talked about this good man dying, and Jesus said, "This death is this. This is not unto death, but for the glory of God." And here was a man. In the councils of eternity, God decreed a man's going to be born blind because a part of the work of Jesus on earth will be to open his eyes and show people he can give new eyes to a blind man. Jesus had a work to do. He talked about it. When he prayed that great high priestly prayer in the 17th chapter of John, and verse 4, he said i glorified thee on the earth, and i finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Paul, well, listen. I ask God today to help you to finish the work that God put you on earth to do. Why, well, one day when Paul was going to go to Jerusalem, where people hated him, people tried to restrain him, he said, I go back uh, knowing there are bonds and afflictions, but none of these things moved me, that I might finish my course with joy. And one day in Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, he said, I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've done what God put me on the earth to do. Now I want to tell you, it'd be a wonderful thing when you come to the end of the road to be able to say, I've finished the work which God put me on this earth to do. I used to hear people ask old Dr. Lakin, when are you going to retire? He said, I had four. When are you going to retire? He said, I had four new ones put on last week. Takes a little while for you to understand that. They're never going to retire. You know, God, God has a work for you to do. Uh, you, you need to be asking God today, Lord, help me to be conscious in my heart and my mind of the work You put me on earth to do. Yes. And to be sure that it's done, God has a work for you to do. Yes. Jesus finished His work on earth. And when He died on the cross, it meant a number of things. When He cried out in that dark hour, it's finished. I've finished the work. What you sent me here to do, uh, work while it is day, the night cometh, when no man can work. I love Dr. Bill Rice. And uh, I spent some time with him. Had him in meetings in Manual Baptist Church a number of times. And I love Dr. Bill Rice. Dr. Bill Rice, as you know, started a great ranch because the Lord allowed one of his daughters to be born deaf. And he's reached deaf people all over the world, that ranch has. One day, Dr. Bill Rice was smitten with a stroke. Then I think maybe another one. And his dear wife was helping to take care of him. him. One day he said to her, when he was smitten with a stroke and felt he could go no further, said, it's finished. She said, what do you mean it's finished? Bill, God can help. We can go on. He said, no, it's finished. The work's finished, my ministry's finished, and I think the next day or so he died. What a wonderful thing. When you come to the end of the journey, as all of us will, to be able to say, I've finished the work which God gave me to do. I've worked while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. You know, this is true of every child of God. We need to be thinking today about... This is the day God's given us to serve. I, I get so uh, disappointed sometimes when some preacher tries to prove to me that these are the last days and you can't do anything. You can't see anybody saved and you can't build a church because we're in the last days. First of all, I think how dumb that preacher is. I don't tell him. But I think how dumb he is. We've been in the last days 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years. And you know how the last days started? They started with an old-fashioned revival in which 3,000 people got saved and got baptized, and the Holy Spirit of God came in wonderful power. That's the way these days started. And that's the way they ought to be today. God can do anything that He has done. God can send revival. God can help us to see multitudes of people saved. It's true of the child of God. Don't ever let the devil send you a bill of goods. You're living in a time when you can't win souls to Christ. Ah, oh, listen, I go calling every day, sometimes three times a day. I go in the morning. Go see my wife and see if she still loves me and everything's all right. Have a bite to eat and go back in the afternoon. Go back in the evening and have supper and go back calling again. I like it. I told my people uh, while I was preaching to them, preaching to you is not my first love, really. My first love is getting out there on the street and knocking on people's doors and finding some hungry heart. That God sent me to, that can be saved. That's my first love. I'll tell you, a lot of preachers have got study on us. They're tied up with a book. One book you better get tied up with this is this one right here. Live in it, absorb it, let God speak to you through it. And I want to tell you, a lot of preachers are bound to this study. A lot of preachers have gotten heavy. They want the preacher to say, Well, you know, that was profound, and I never heard that before. I remember what old Dr. J. Frank Norris said to me one time when I was sitting by him in a service. And a preacher was up preaching, and he wanted to parade what he knew, and he's preaching on one of the billy goats of Daniel. And old Dr. Norris just laid his hand over on my knee, And he said, Tom, and I can feel it till this day. Don't ever stop preaching on the great, simple text of the Bible. Oh, I want to tell you, that Christianity is a heart matter. And we, every Christian, need to remember that this is our day and the night's coming when no man can work. I think about when David knew he was going to die, and he, he hoped, to, hoped to build the temple himself. He prepared all the material got it all ready. Then he said to Solomon, I have all the silver and the iron, everything to build the temple. Then he said two words to him. He said, do it. D-O-I-T. Do it. I believe what God is saying to the church this morning. It's time to do it. Don't talk about it. Do it. This is our day, the night coming when no man can work. You need to think of the brevity of time. The Bible says redeeming the time for the days are evil. I feel ashamed if a day ever comes by. I don't go out. To try to win somebody to Christ. I'm ashamed. I'm convicted. My heart spites me. I feel ashamed if a, day doesn't, if a day goes by and I'm not able to get out on the streets and find others who need help from God. Well, I tell you, it's the greatest blessing I have. I love it more than anything in the world. I called on a, an old lady, and, and remember now, I'm saying it, it was an old lady. And when I opened the door, she was in a wheelchair, had one leg had already been amputated. I reached out and got under the hand. She pulled me over, and she put arms around me, and she hugged me. It's awful hard to hug an old lady in a wheelchair. i was afraid I hurt her, but she just hugged me, and she cried, and she said, "This morning, Brother Tom." She said, I prayed, God would send you. I need you. I, my burdens are heavy. It's hard to make it. I needed you. And I thought, oh yes, I'm so glad I could hear God that day. Call on that poor old soul and help lift the burden. This is your hour. This is your time. The night cometh when no man can work. It's going to end one day. It ended in the earthly life of Jesus. His work was finished. And he went back to heaven. You need to think of the importance of your influence. Oh, listen. There's not a man, woman, boy, girl in this room this morning, but whose influence reaches out and touches some life. That frightens me. That frightens me. Oh, I pray to God, I shall not stand at the judgment seat of Christ and be condemned by someone who says your influence had the wrong effect upon me. You need to think of your influence today. It's it's time now. Think about what are the shadows of your life reaching out and covering and upon whom are they falling? What is your influence like? We need to think about the uncertainty of death. No man knoweth what a day may bring forth. People sitting here in this room this morning say, I'm young and strong and healthy. I have a lot of time. When I get around to it, I'm going to do something for God. That time may never come. It's already here. And it may not be here when you're ready. God's ready now. And the need is to do it now, the night cometh when no man can work. Let me say to you, I believe this has to do with reaching the lost. Proverbs eleven thirty, that great classic verse says, He that winneth souls is wise. Do it now. Do it now. Oh, my heart was moved last night when this preacher told about getting two men on the elevator. And winning one of them to Christ and having the other one tell him he's already saved. I will tell you, that touched me, that moved me. God expects Christians to win souls. I must work the works of God while it is day. For the night cometh when no man can work. I read recently of a fire that took place in Camden, South Carolina. Years ago, school building burned, and 70 little children were burned to death in that school. One of them was a little boy who somehow or another could stand at the window. The parents came, firemen came, the whole town came, it seemed. And a little boy in a window was crying because his great big old daddy stood out there. It took about three firemen to restrain him. They knew no one could go any closer to that building without being destroyed. He read the lips of his little boy, Daddy, save me, save me, Daddy, save me, Daddy, save me, Daddy. The big fireman restrained him. The little boy died. The man in two years went insane and died because he couldn't get his little boy out of the fire, I want to tell you it's going to be awful when some people stand at the judgment seat of Christ and hear again the call from the unsaved, save me, save me. But you didn't do it. I want to say to you, it's time God's people set out to win souls like never before and get people saved. It has to do with soul winning. I must work the works of God while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. No doubt this text speaks of unsaved people. Somebody said, where is hell? It's at the end of a crisis life. end of a crisis life. young man came in the tunnel station. You know, a lot of folks preach about deacons a lot. I, I mention deacons a lot, but I, I mention the fact some of the greatest men I've ever known have been deacons. And I could not des- describe to you this morning the influence that Baptist deacons I've known in my life have had on me. Well, a deacon of ours ran a film station. A young man came screeching in there, and, and uh, this man Pumped gas in his tank. And he said to him, Son, are you saved? You know Christ is your Savior. And he said, Young man said, No, I'm not. I'm going to hell, I guess. And uh, this deacon, Brother Turner, said, Son, you can be saved. God loves you. You don't need to go to hell. Uh, let, uh, let's pray here for a moment. Let me show you how you can be saved and go to heaven. Say, no, no, I'm, I'm, I know where I'm going. I'm going to hell. And he went screeching out. And one mile from there, the car hit the big tree on the curb. And when they got to him, they found him dead. He's one mile from hell. One mile from hell. And somebody there with the gospel ready to give it to him. Let me tell you, the darkest hour you'll ever know will be to stand at a grave where there's being buried someone you might have won. Oh God, help us today. I must work the works of Him that sent me while in His day. Man, in uh, Pontiac, Michigan, years ago, all of his family came to church, but but himself, he, he he would not come. He's too busy making a living. And let me tell you something more important than making a living, making a life, and living for God. He wouldn't come. He'd say to me, "I got a family to support. I work seven days a week." I tried to win him. He got sick and had a heart attack. And went to the hospital. I went up to the hospital, uh, tried to win him. To Christ and he he said no I want to be well said why don't you pray that I'll get well I said I will pray that you get well but I want you to be saved God wants you to be saved so I'll tell you what I'll do I'll make a deal with you he didn't make it with me because I wouldn't accept it said I'll make a deal with you you pray that I get well and I'll be in your church next Sunday I said I'm gonna pray you'll be saved and pray, of course, God will help you to get well and not die. My son-in-law worked for it. We had the big tent up, uh, 80 by 120 tent, where people being saved every night. And that man's place of business was 150 yards from where that tent was erected. My son-in-law told me how one, one morning during that tent meeting and after he'd gotten out of the hospital... He heard him cry out back of the place of business. He went out and he was lying on the ground. He reached down and picked him up in his arms and called his name and tried to get him to talk, but he was dead. My son-in-law held him in his arms while he went out to meet God unprepared. Oh, let me tell you, I must work the works of God while it is day because of night coming. Someday it will be too late to win people to Christ because people are dying every day without God and without hope. You know, I, I find something in this chapter I must mention to you. There was great resistance to a man being healed and saved. Now, when he finally met Jesus in this chapter a second time and talked to him, Uh, Jesus said, "Uh, who do you think I am? And Jesus said, I'm the Son of God. He said, I believe you are. But people resisted soul winning. Can you believe that? Can you believe that people in churches make fun of soul winning? Can you believe that people in churches say, Oh, and all those kids brought in here. That's one thing's wrong with America. Since 1988, crime with those 18 years of age and under has increased 80% since 1988. And murder for those 18 years and under has increased 50% in the last five or six years. Yet some folks say, well, gasoline costs too much, and, and you can't buy these buses, run these buses, bring these kids in here. They'll, tire, they'll mark up the walls and tear the water fountain off the wall, and they will. I've had them do it. But I want to tell you, you know, God doesn't put any premium on who is this sinner that God saved. And how did he get to church? Did he come in a Cadillac or pick up truck? God doesn't care. Did he ride a mule or walk all the way? And it's absolutely ridiculous that people say, going out of the bus business, it's not in fashion anymore. I want to tell you, it makes heaven happy when people are brought to Christ and to get saved and they get baptized. And now is the time to reach them for the night cometh when no man can work. The greatest influence on young people today is not the church. It's these rock singers. They're sending them to hell. They're giving them subliminal messages in their song. It's anti Bible. They're heathens of the worst sort. The church says, I don't want a bus ministry. Somebody said I can't spend all day Saturday walking up and down the streets. Well, I will tell you, you better do it while you have the chance, because the night's coming when no man can work. And when they all go to hell, it'll be too late then. Oh, God put upon our heart that this is our day to win people to Christ and to build churches. I must work the works of him that sent me. I don't know what God wants me to do, all he wants me to do. I know for 59 years I've been working at it. I've often failed. But I want to tell you something I do not want to happen. I don't want to meet the one I love, stand in the white light of his purity and hear him say, Tom, you didn't finish the job. I don't want that. If I can meet him by the grace of God and hear him say, Tom, you've finished the course, I'll be a happy man. It's going to happen one of these days, one way or the other. I, I know I've got it all planned out the way I want it to happen. I planned a lot of things never worked out that way, but the way I got it planned, I, I'd, I'd like to just be up here preaching. And sometimes, when I'm preaching, some sinner comes down the aisle to get saved, and God will say, that's the last one. The bride is completed, and the Lord is coming. And glory, hallelujah. We'll hear Gabriel blow the trumpet. And I'm not going down, I'm going up. And going up to stay, hallelujah. Oh, when I am meeting. When I meet him, I want to meet him. I want to see him. And yet there's something fearful about standing before the glorified son of God. And the possibility that he might say, Tom, you didn't get it all done. I know that he'll say, you fail sometimes, son. But you always got up. I'd like to be like a fellow. His name was Jim Moore down in Alabama. Maybe it's not the kind of story preachers would tell, but Jim Moore was a fightin' this little piece of machinery that anybody in that part of Alabama ever saw. He weighed about 150 pounds. He just whipped people all the time—big people, little people, all kinds of people. And my brother was a fighter. That was my brother's sport when we were young—was fighting. He's the only person I ever saw in my life that could fight and laugh at the same time. He'd just knock somebody's head off and, ha, <laughs> ha, and hit him again. Fight and laugh at the same time. I weighed 145 pounds. Uh, my my pride was running. I could outrun anybody. But sometime my brother wouldn't let me run. He'd say, now you stay with me. There's two of them. I didn't like it. I, I didn't. I, I, that wasn't my sport. But this little old guy, Jim Moore, he's the funniest guy. They, they, they put him in jail two, three times for fighting, and he's at a football game one day, and a crowd of people kind of huddled together in a scuffle over there, and, and the sheriff went running over because he knew Jim Moore was there somewhere. And he said, Jim, what happened? He said, I don't know. He said, somebody shoved me. He meant shoved him. Said, somebody said me. Said, there's a little old and I just picked up a little old stick and hit him down across the nose. That's the reason he took all that blood there. Said, I said, I don't really know what, what happened, of course it did. I said to my brother one time, I said, John, you you like them more. I said, yeah, I sure did. I like them more. I said, why? Because you came with me. I said, John. You're six foot two. Your arms are so long, you have to hold them up like this, keep them dragging the ground. You could whip Jim more than you know it. Yeah, I could. I could whip him five minutes. I could just whip him But he said, You can't even keep him with me. I'd have to do it again the next day, and the next day, and the next day. said, I don't want to go through all that. Leave him alone. I was unsaved when my brother told me that. i thought about it a lot of times, oh, you can whip him, but you can't keep him with you. That's the way God wants it with you. Someday you're going to get knocked down, the devil's going to seek to get up. Because when you stand before him, you want to be in to say, Lord, I went all the way.